Hello, everyone, and welcome to Singularity One-on-One. Singularity One-on-One is a podcast feature of Singularity Weblog, where you can go and listen to it or download it in full. As you may already know, my name is Nicola, a.k.a. Socrates, and as always, I will be the man with the questions. Today, I'm very privileged to have Dr. Peter Diamandis as my guest on the show. Dr. Diamandis is a Harvard-trained medical doctor and a self-admitted nine-year-old child space enthusiast and a visionary who dreams big and has the resume to prove that the best way to predict the future is to create it yourself. Hi, Peter, and welcome to Singularity One-on-One. Pleasure to be here. It's our pleasure to have you on the show. So let me start with the first question by asking you this. Peter, can you tell us a little more about yourself and your background, but especially why and how you got interested in issues such as advanced technologies in general and the singularity and commercial space flight and exploration in particular? So my life began with a passionate interest in opening the space frontier since my childhood. You know, born in the 60s with Apollo going on, it sort of became my mission in life, not only to go into space myself, but to take other folks with me. And uh, I ended up spending a decade up at MIT and studying molecular biology and aerospace engineering and then going on to get a medical degree. And, but really along the way became enamored with the notion that I could make the future I wanted myself. That, in other words, that I was uh, empowered to go and build companies, create technologies, create organizations that would implement the type of future I wanted to see. And it's a message I like to get out to people because now more than ever, each of us have access to incredible technologies, incredible networks and tools that allow you not to sit back passively and hope that the future you want will materialize, but to actually go out there and actively craft it. And I've become uh, passionate about understanding these technologies, gaining access to them, uh, becoming partners with the individuals creating them, and going and doing important things in the world. And for me, the important things in the world split into two basic camps. One is helping the human race transition off this planet, because it's during our lifetimes that the human race is going to become a multi-planetary species, Um, not your grandchildren's life or their children's, but our lives over the next few decades. And that's extraordinarily impactful if you think about it. The last time that life moved out of one environment into another, it's when hundreds of millions of years ago we moved from an ocean-based species to living on land. Now we're going from living on Earth to the stars. The second area that I am extraordinarily passionate about that's happening right now is really the transformation of humanity uh, by the incorporation of extraordinary technologies. We'll call these uh, 10 to the 9th plus technologies or exponential technologies, but we're in the process of evolving humanity uh, to be something new and um, profoundly different, uh, where we are beginning to design technology and merge with technology uh, and increase the rate of our evolution at a faster and faster pace. And, and how that moves forward is in part up to us and how we use this technology to change the world and create a world of abundance, which I'll speak to later, uh, is up to us.
So in that sense, uh, would you say that your motivation is humanitarian or is it scientific curiosity or is it uh, the entrepreneur in you who wants to break through limits and uh, create the impossible? What is the general motivation behind your work? <laughs> uh, my motivation is manifold. I am relentlessly curious. Uh, and the scientist and engineer in me about what causes something or what could possibly be. I'm also absolutely adamant that every single major problem on this planet can be solved. There is no problem that we cannot take on and slay with the right combination of people, technology, and capital. And when I hear people complaining, I just want to shake them and say, instead of complaining, go out there and solve the problem. What is it you don't like? What is the vision of the future you want to create? Gather around you the people, the capital, the technology, and go and make it happen. Because if it doesn't happen, it's you that didn't step forward to make it happen. It's not that it can't happen. So those are my motivations. So how do you see yourself then in your own words? Who is Peter Diamandis? Are you a medical doctor, an engineer, an, an entrepreneur, a space enthusiast? Is there, I mean, is there a single box we can put Peter in? I would start by clarifying and saying I'm not a medical doctor. I went to medical school. Uh, my fourth year medical school, I had two companies I was running. I actually remember a conversation I had with the dean of medicine who said, listen, Peter, do you want to graduate or not? Because I was on the verge of not graduating. One of the benefits of Harvard is you can't fail out. And believe me, I was running a rocket launch company and a university and trying to squeeze medicine in at the same time. And I cut a deal with him and said, listen, if you let me graduate, I promise not to practice. And so I ended up graduating, but never did my internship and residency. Um, I am an entrepreneur. I love starting companies. I love the creative process. I've started 15 companies at this point uh, from uh, space adventures that sends people to orbit and Zero-G that does parabolic flights and a rocket racing league and a, a low-Earth orbit satellite communications company and a small launcher vehicle system, a number of uh, nonprofits from International Space University, the Singularity University, and XPRIZE Foundation. And, and I view starting a company as a mechanism of gathering the right people and envisioning the future and using a company as a mechanism to go create the future, the technology, the service that you wish existed that you're going to go make happen. But ultimately, I'm, um, I guess I'm someone who loves uh, to inspire. I love to teach and I love to get people together to go and do what other folks say can't be done. I love a great challenge. And I guess my life has had two missions, opening up space, and the other is attacking humanity's grand challenges, energy, water, food, health, education, all of those things. I do that through the XPRIZE Foundation and through Singularity University, which are two sides of the same coin. So where does Singularity University fit in your plan to create the future? I was, uh, I was actually trekking through Patagonia, through Chile, and I had a copy of uh, Ray Kurzweil's book, the Singularity is Near, with me. And I was reading it in a beautifully written book. Uh, many of the ideas I had thought about for years and had dreamed of writing a very similar book. 
But as I read the book, what I realized was that there was no place on the planet that you could go as an individual and really learn about all of the fields that were in rapid exponential growth, AI, robotics, nanomaterials, biotechnology, human-machine interface, <clears throat> all of these fields, quantum computing, you know, the internet of everything. But these were the technologies that were the levers on the world that could be used to solve humanity's grand challenges. These were the technologies that within my XPRIZE universe, I wanted the teams competing to use to go and, and solve those grand challenges. And so I had had the honor and pleasure of starting a university some 18, 20 years earlier called International Space University based in Strasbourg, France, which focused on interdisciplinary intercultural studies of space. Had started with Bob Richards and Todd Hawley, huge success. Beautiful campus now in Strasbourg. And I said, I, it was one of these inspirations I have in the moments of my life when I see this idea and I say, I have to go and do that. It's, when, when one of those ideas grabs my heart and soul, I can't not do it. And for me, it was to start a university focused on these technologies. And so I wrote out what was the business plan in the back of the book and on the notes I had with me in the mountains, uh, uh, the uh, Torres de Pane. And I remember it was these 10 tracks, you know, a, a track on AI, uh, nano, bio, all of these fields, and came back, spoke to Ray about it. Uh, he loved it, uh, gathered together an incredible team of people, had a founding conference here at NASA Ames, uh, attended by folks like Tim Draper, one of the top VCs, and Larry Page, and and Patrick Sonxiang, and many of the associate founders we have. And, and as a result, um, we've created this university. And for me, this is the place we cast a global net. And we say, who out there is passionate about the world's biggest problems? Top of your game academically, and a proven entrepreneur. Come here, meet each other, and decide which of these technologies you're going to use to create a 10 to the 9th plus company or product or service, meaning something that can affect a billion people positively within a decade. And so that's SU. SU is a, a training ground. Think of it as sort of a Starfleet Academy for the world's biggest challenges. Have your ideas and perception of artificial intelligence and the technological singularity changed or evolved in any surprising ways since you began Singularity University? Uh, my views about all of the uh, exponentially growing technologies, in particular AI, robotics, biotech, nano, uh, have changed only in that what's been uncovered to me uh, through the faculty, through the alumni, through the, um, our partners here, is the depth of work going on in parallel that no one knows about. And what I feel as a result of that is that the rate of change uh, is going to be far faster and far more impactful than people believe possible. Why? Because there's more capital available in the hands of individuals today than ever before. And more tools for creation from 3D printing to um, you know, the iCloud coming online. What tools do you need to create? They're there for anyone at minimal cost. And because of that, the barrier 
to um, impactful creativity has been massively reduced. You know, it used to be that a, uh, a sensor system for looking at human motion, for example, cost $5,000 for a, uh, a LiDAR. And now the Xbox Connect has brought the price down for a similar type system to 150 bucks. These are the sort of things that Dan Barry, our head of faculty and our head of robotics, teaches us here. And as soon as the price goes from 5000 to 150 bucks, all of a sudden there is a hundredfold, a thousandfold as many people experimenting. That's happening over and over again. And so because of that, the number of startups, the number of experimentations, the number of just uh, of, uh, of random uh, ideas that are seeing the light of day and uh, testing their mettle in a Darwinian fashion is increasing exponentially. So uh, I think we're in for an incredible ride. Uh, and I, for one, am enjoying every second of it. Speaking of an incredible ride, Ray Kurzweil is often criticized for being too optimistic in his forecasting and in his predictions. How would you rate our chances of surviving the technological singularity as a species? So, first of all, I would say that Ray's predictions are not overly optimistic. I think when you look at the actual facts, people will find them to be reasonably spot on. Uh, secondly, you have to realize that we as humans, general, generally humanity, hates change. We love waking up in the morning and knowing that the world is the same way it was the night before. We still have our jobs. We still have the government in power. We still have the same rules and regulations because consistency breeds safety, and we like to be safe. But what's really going on is that the rate of change is moving so rapidly that there is the seeds of revolution being planted in all kinds of ways, whether it's robots that will be coming online that could displace massive numbers of jobs or artificial intelligence coming online that can displace jobs or create new opportunities, whatever it might be, huge change coming that people don't like. So that's the resistance that people have to the predictions being made. Because if they're true, it disrupts their comfortable way of living. Now, the second part of your question about whether we'll survive the technological singularity, um, I think that we are the, the uh, infrastructure of, we are the... Um, the the uh, uh, the the basis for this uh, technological singularity, meaning the technologies being developed, we're developing them and we're incorporating them into our lives. Um, I think, of course, we'll survive it because we're going to be part of the process of this, and we're going to be re-evolving who we as humanity are. Our society is going to be changed if. If surviving means that society remains unchanged, that people remain unchanged, no, of course we're not going to survive it because there will be functional change. We will change the way we uh, live our lives, the way we work, the way we interact with people, the way we think, the way we process information. We've been doing this already. You know, life and society of 100 years ago did not survive, didn't survive the airplane, the car, the cell phone, the computer. Because, sure, you could say that the Amish 
survived technology last 100 years, but 99.999% of the rest of the world did not survive it. They changed. In the same fashion, as the technology rolls in, uh, reinvents how we work, live, love, all of these things, um, the way we were will not survive, but we will be something new, something hopefully that makes our lives um, richer and deeper and more significant and longer and healthier and more educated and something that majority of people will love to have. The main task in front of Singularity University students is the 10 to the 9th project, which, as you mentioned, is the goal to change or impact in a positive way the life of a billion people within 10 years. So my question to you is, does Peter Diamandis have a 10th to the 9th project of his own? And if yes, would you like to share with us? I have a, a couple of 10 to the 9th plus projects that I'm working on. The one that I'm focused on right now is a book that I'm co-writing with a friend, Stephen Kotler, called Abundance. And it's the notion that all of these technologies that we're creating are giving us a world of abundance. Uh, that if you stop and you think about humanity's basic needs, and we talk about an abundance pyramid, that at the base of the pyramid there is the need for food and water and shelter, and then as you step up, there's the need for energy and education and healthcare, and ultimately for freedom, and that all of these needs are becoming empowered and capable with the technologies that we're developing. If you think about the fact that a villager in Africa who is on a cell phone today has better telecom than the President of the United States had uh, you know, 20 years ago, and if they're on a smartphone on Google, they have more knowledge at their fingertips than the President of the United States had 15 years ago. These individuals are living in a world of communications and information abundance. In the same fashion, uh, we are creating a world where as we become more efficient in converting uh, the abundant amount of energy that comes in solar energy to, to the Earth, 6,000 times more than we use, in any given year. As we become more efficient in converting it, we'll be living in a world of energy abundance. And when we do that, we'll have a world of water abundance since we're on a water planet where nearly 98% of the water on this planet is in the form of salt water. But with abundant energy, we can convert that. Add to that artificial intelligence supporting us in healthcare and education. And we are heading towards a world of abundant living where it doesn't mean a life of luxury for 7 to 9 billion people, but a life of possibility, where they spend their time meeting their basic needs and being able to dream thereafter. So my project is changing the way people think, that we don't need to be thinking in a scarce uh, world where we start wars to get access to the oil or resources that we need, but that we can live in a world of abundant resources. And it's a mindset that I want to have people understand. So that's one of my projects. The other one that I'm passionate and excited about is gaining access to the resources of the universe. Ultimately, since my childhood, I wanted to be an asteroid miner. And I think that's something which over the next uh, decade, I'll be spending time on. So, you know, I'm right in the final chapters of my book on abundance. And what I struggle with is the question of, is abundance inevitable? Or is it something that we need to actively work on? And the reality is, I think it's something that actually needs to be actively worked on. That the same technologies 
that can give us a world of abundance can also do harm to society. Uh, that we do have an issue of scarcity. We are heading towards peak oil or peak water or peak soil or peak phosphorus or peak lithium, whatever it might be. We're using the resources rapidly. That we are, we need to actively develop the technologies, develop the new ways of thinking that once we do, can liberate humanity. So I think about the forces that create this future. One of the forces are um, the what, what we call the DIY innovators, the do-it-yourself innovators, the entrepreneurs who see a vision and go and create a company and go and create a product or service to go and fill that niche. Here at Singularity University, we call them the 10th and 9th plus projects. You know, the biggest problems on this planet, water concerns, health concerns, education, these are the multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar markets. So if you go and solve these problems, huge wealth can happen, but they're also incredibly important towards this future of abundance. So the DIY innovators are an important um, driving function. The other is uh, we live in a world of these incredible techno-philanthropists. Bill Gates is the principal example of people who've made huge wealth more than ever before. Uh, and are now using that wealth rather than to go and build another building with their name on it to go and slay the biggest problems we have. Uh, Bill Gates' example with the Gates Foundation is slaying malaria or education problems, whatever it might be. So uh, concentrated wealth in the hands of single individuals or small teams that is focused on solving problems is another critical part of the equation that we have today. The third part is that we have what I call the rising billion. Other people have called them the bottom billion. I call them the rising billion. These are individuals who are getting connectivity with cell phones who are coming online and are becoming an extraordinarily powerful marketplace. You know, if you think about the fact that uh, 2 billion people on the planet who are spending a third of their income uh, on water, well, if they're making $3 a day and they spend a dollar a day on water, um, you know, that's $2 billion a day on water, $600 billion a year on water being spent. That's a huge marketplace. And it's a, a big enough market to drive real innovation. So as these, as the rising billion come online, become consumers, become creators of information, creators of opportunity, that is also going to change the world we're living into. So uh, abundance is not a guarantee by any means, but it is a possibility driven by these forces, the do-it-yourself innovators, the techno-philanthropists, the marketplace coming online, and then ultimately by all of us changing our mindset from one of fear and scarcity to one of opportunity and abundance. Peter, what is the one thing or a single message that you would like our viewers and listeners to take away from this interview today? So uh, there are actually two messages. And uh, Peter's Law, when given a choice, take both, so I'll give you both. The first is that you are empowered as an individual to go and make the future what you want it to be. More than ever before, the tools of cooperation, the, the incredible exponential technologies that exist right now allow you as an individual or with your friends and family as a small team to do what only large corporations or governments could do before. 
Never before has the power been so great for such a small team. So whatever you care about, whatever isn't working, stop complaining, go and fix it. Create a company or an organization that will go and make that future materialize the way you want it to be. The second message is that we are not heading towards a world of necessarily of water wars or energy scarcity or health or pandemics, that we have the ability as a human race to create a world of abundance. Right now, over these next few decades, a world where people have all of the resources they need, that we live in a world of abundant energy, water, health, education, and that all seven growing to nine billion people can have that. And that once we have that, it's a very different world. Technology is not to be feared. It's to be incorporated, to be used in the service of humanity. And I, for one, here at Singularity University and at XPRIZE Foundation, am extraordinarily passionate about going and making that future happen. Thank you.